Come in. Well, good morning. My name is Caleb. I help serve here on the leadership team uh, throughout the week. I'm a middle school history teacher and a high school basketball coach. I'm excited to be with you guys this morning, and I'm excited you're here with us. This morning we're going to be in 1 John, the book of 1 John. So if you have your Bible, you can turn or tap your way there. If you do have a paper copy, the book of 1 John is basically at the end of the Bible. It is not the Gospel of John. It is not his, uh, John's eyewitness account of Jesus. It is uh, his letters to the church. So 1 John, the first of those letters. It will be in 1 John chapter 2. Uh, if you are a part of a community group or have um, partaken in a community group at any point uh, so far this year, then you have gotten to... Uh, take part in that experiencing God study that David mentioned earlier. And that study is showing us who God is and what he wants from us, what his will for our lives is. And uh, throughout it, there are different spiritual truths from the Bible that is pulling, that is discussing and talking about. And uh, if you're like me, you've been encouraged by that. And uh, for each of us, there might be something specific that sticks out. Uh, one thing recently for me that stuck out was God pursues a love relationship. And that was one of the realities that we covered in the study. And when we talk about God's love, I think it's really easy for us to feel like we have a pretty good grasp of it in our head, but not always have a great grasp of it in our heart. So we're going to be discussing that this morning. And we struggle with that for a variety of reasons. Uh, for some of us in here, maybe we never had a, uh, maybe you never had a father figure in your life who verbally and through his actions expressed his love in tangible ways that gave you uh, that picture of what uh, God as a father who loves us really means. And uh, dads like that are few and far between. And that's a, just another encouragement, exhortation for those of us that are dads in the room that we need to um, do our part and do what we can in trying to show uh, the love of God to our children. Uh, but maybe you, you didn't really get to experience that growing up. Maybe you had a religious experience growing up and a church experience in a setting in which uh, God as a father who loved you unconditionally, no matter what you had done, was foreign. You didn't see God as someone that just loved you, but you saw God as someone who you had to earn his love or earn his favor or work towards being worthy of his love. And maybe you had a church experience like that, but maybe it's just in your own heart. And for me, I know this is true oftentimes. Our hearts naturally go with the flow of wanting to achieve and do and attain something and earn something. And it's easy to get that way when it comes to God and his love for us. If we do this, we do that, we work our way towards God loving us more. When, as we're going to see in the text this morning, that is not the case. Uh, before we get into what God has to say to us about his love, uh, I want us to give, get a little bit of a um, more, uh, more context as to what the book of 1 John is. So this is written by the disciple John. John was a disciple who was with Jesus, got to experience Jesus firsthand in his ministry, seeing his awesome miracles getting to see him die on the cross, but then getting to see him rise from the dead, and then played a key role in the formation of the early Christian church. And God, through his spirit, used John to write sections of the Bible. And this is what we have here in 1 John. 1 John was written when John was an older man. And we actually have a story that's preserved for us about John as an older man. Uh, this story is not in the Bible, 
but it's preserved through the historian Eusebius. Pretty cool name, uh, Eusebius, not one you hear too common today. But Eusebius was one of the first uh, church historians in the Christian church around the 3rd century. And he uh, preserved a story about John as he was in his later years of life. John was working in a town uh, towards bringing people to Jesus, and he led a young man to Jesus, and then began discipling this young man. After he, uh, or he got to a point uh, within his ministry where he needed to take a trip somewhere. So he went to the pastor in the town, and he told him about this young man, and left him in his care, and then left, and, um, and went and did what he needed to do on his trip. When he got back, though, he went to the pastor, and he said, where's this young man? Where, where is he? I don't see him. And the pastor in the town said, he's dead. John's, what? He's dead. He's dead to God, is what the pastor said. It turns out he had, this young man had been living a life of crime before he came to Jesus and had gone back to that life of crime. And he was living up in the mountains with his band of, of robbers. And no one had dared go after him for fear of their life. As the story goes, according to Eusebius, John ripped his cloak out of sadness and then said, get me a horse. So he gets a horse and he rides up into the mountains where all these band of robbers are. And uh, gets captured quickly. John says, good, take me to your leaders. And in being taken to the leaders, he sees this man. that He is discipled, one of the leaders there. The man seeing John turns and runs. John then runs after the man, calling out to him, crying out to him. Says, I'm unarmed. I'm coming after you because you can come back to Jesus, basically. There's still hope in life for you. Come back. The man hearing this breaks down, weeps, and comes back to Jesus and comes back with John. We hear that story and we think, wow, that's pretty intense. Like, John had to have some courage. Old man John had to have some courage, had to have some guts to be able to do this. Why is that? Well, at the beginning of 1 John, we see pretty clearly that the opportunity to now be made right with God through Jesus and have fellowship true communion, a real, practical, personal relationship with God gives us incredible boldness and courage. And God's love for us and what he's done for us in Jesus does that as well. And that's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to look at how we can be encouraged by the incredible truth of God's love and how we can also continue on in hope in Christ. So let's see what God has to say to us this morning from 1 John chapter 2. We're going to be at the end of the book in verse 20, or into the chapter in verse 28. It says, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from shame, not shrink from him in shame at his coming. So, before we dive into all of this verse, I want us to notice the first command here is, now, little children, abide in him. So, we're going to ask a few questions about what that means. We're going to spend some time asking, who, who are we to abide in, and why are we to abide in him? Uh, and then we're going to spend the bulk of our time this morning talking about how we are, going, how we are to abide in him in ways in which God uh, has given us uh, grace and courage and opportunities to grow in that abiding in. So let's start with verse 28. Who are you to abide in? Well, surrounding context as well as this verse will show us that the who here is Jesus. Now, who is Jesus? We can see that all throughout the Bible. Jesus is God, fully man in the flesh, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead, the, has given us the opportunity to be made right with God. Jesus is our Savior, and as Colossians 3 verse 4 says, He is our life. It says, when Christ, who is your life, 
appears, if you put your faith and trust in him, then you also will appear with him in glory, which alludes to the next point as well. But Jesus is our life. And Jesus is who we are to abide in. So, why is that something we need to do? Well, according to this verse, as well as according to the previous verse, Jesus is coming back. The testimony from Scripture and eyewitnesses throughout the Bible state that Jesus, after he died, rose from the dead. And then after rising from the dead, appeared to many, and then ascended into heaven. And then we see, command, or we see throughout the New Testament, as well as this verse, and the verse that we looked at in 1 John, that he's coming again. And we can, his appearing is certain, and we can have joy and confidence. Verse 28 of 1 John says, So that when he appears, we may have confidence in him. Confidence. That's a word that gets thrown around a lot in the sports world as a coach. So I mentioned I, I coach basketball. If you've been a part of sports, you've probably heard your t- coach talking about doing something with confidence. Shoot with confidence. Run with confidence. Uh, pass with confidence or whatever. Fill in the blank with confidence. It's a big part of being an athlete. Uh, you have to have confidence if you're going to perform well. I heard a sports psychologist mention one time that confidence is the athlete's armor. It's its protective measures that help them perform well. And in doing that, it's a big deal having that. For us as a Christian, we, our confidence is in Jesus, and our confidence is in the fact that the king is coming again. He is coming again. Now, the second part of that verse, though, in verse 28 says, so that you will have confidence when he returns, as opposed to not shrinking from him in shame at his coming. Now, there's two options here. You can either have confidence that he's returning... Or you can shrink from shame in him at his coming. So how does that fit in and what does that mean? Well, fortunately, there's other parts of the Bible that talk about this. And there's one in Matthew chapter 22 where Jesus is teaching about this. And he teaches through a parable. In Matthew 22, verse 1, it says, And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. So Jesus here is going to use this parable to discuss uh, his return. And in this, he's saying that the kingdom of heaven is compared to a party that a king gives for a wedding party he gives for his son. So we're not going to get into all the ins and outs of the parable. But we're going to skip down to verse 11 in Matthew chapter 22 where it says, But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. So the two choices here are confidence in Christ's return or shrinking from shame, and then what Jesus is speaking out about here. If you have not Put your faith and trust in Jesus. If you do not have that wedding garment that is spoken of here, you do not have Christ's righteousness filling your life, you have your own garment that you've tried to form, then this is the result of what that will end in. Separation from God. You are no longer able to be in the presence of God in any way, shape, or form. And darkness, spiritual darkness. If you do not have the real fruit that comes from being a true believer... That's, that's what we're seeing here. So true believers abide. They have confidence that Jesus is coming again, and they have confidence 
in his coming. And they can live life with a confident expectation that he is coming. Now, I want to pause right here and say that this wedding garment that's spoken of here in symbolic terms, Christ's righteousness, is a free gift to all. The invitation is open to all. The gift of Jesus is open to all. That invitation is there. And you will hear about it again throughout uh, this morning's message. But true believers abide. So now we've answered the who and the why from this text. So let's look at the how. How are we to abide in 1 John chapter 2? And all there is much throughout the Bible about what it looks like to follow and abide in Jesus. We're going to zero in on what these verses say and see four actions that we can pursue uh, as we abide in Jesus. So first, uh, let's look at verse 29. It says, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So the first two actions we see here are know God and follow God. Know who God is. Know his character, what what he says about himself and his word, what he's like. Know his ways, the ways in which he uh, has commanded us and called us to follow him and what he wants for us. Growing in this, truly loving someone means that you know them, that you are growing in this knowledge. And notice it says, if you know You can know. You can know that he is righteous. He is perfect in holiness. He is is a standard that we can never attain apart from our faith and trust in Jesus. Put into practice then in your life what God has commanded. Practice righteousness. Behave like him. Love like him. And let that love flow into love for others. Now, I like how one pastor put this. He said, this is not saying it's the perfection of your life. It's saying it's the direction of your life. Practices righteousness. It doesn't say everyone who is righteous all the time. No, it's everyone who's practicing righteousness. You're, you're moving towards God and moving towards what he wants. Third uh, John 1.11 says that, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. So if you've truly seen God, if you've truly been born of him, like verse 29 mentions, then you are his child and it's going to show up in how you live your life. This born of him language, this picture of adoption is a beautiful way to describe what God has done for us in the gospel and saving us through Jesus. And adoption is still a beautiful thing that is happening uh, in our world today. Um, Many of you know that there are some in the Hope Church family here that are in the process of adopting. Keith and Adrian Banta are in the process of adopting Tommy. And I've been so encouraged to hear about how they're following God's call in that. Please encourage them as you see them within that. Um, But it's also been neat to hear how Tommy is becoming more and more of a Banta the more he is with them as they're adopting him. So, for instance, uh, some of you guys know Keith, that he's from Oklahoma and might have a southern twang to what he says from time to time. Well, apparently Tommy now is starting to get a little bit of a southern twang even though I don't think he spent a whole lot of time in the South. But there's a reason for that. He's spending time with him. He's getting to know him. He wants to be like him. He wants to be like his dad. Um, it was cool, too, to hear, uh, funny as well, to hear that someone was kind of picking on Eden, their, their oldest, and giving her a hard time. And Tommy wasn't about that. He stood up for Eden. He said, nope, you don't do that. And he, he got on the person that was, was messing with her. And so, again, standing up, defending uh, for their family. And then, two, just the overall uh, confidence that I'm hearing that he's having within their family relationships, but then also just within all sorts of relationships. The more he's been within their family, the more comfortable he is and the more confident he is in how he's living his life, which are all beautiful things. And they're beautiful things that also should help us see, again, the picture 
of what we are to be as Christians since we are now God's children and how we can become more like our Father and how we should want to become more like our Father in pursuing Him. And because, again, of how we have been born of Him. 1 John 4, verse 10 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son, Jesus, to be the propitiation, big word for payment, full, complete payment for our sins. God has pursued us and made us right with God because of Jesus and what he's done for us. And because of that, we can be children of God, which then, this born of him language, leads to an exclamation, an outburst of sorts in chapter 3, verse 1, where it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. But see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Being born of him means that we are his children now. And why are we his children? Is it because of all the incredible things we've done? Is it because of all the potential that we've shown in taking over the family business one day? No, it's none of that. This agape, it's a Greek word for just selfless, full, complete, a choice type of love. This, this is that love. God is this love. It's selfless love, love that is undeserving, that is free, that pursues us, that pursues us in a love relationship. And we can pursue understanding this love more. I love how Psalm 103, verse 13 puts it. It says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. God shows compassion to us like a father, like the perfect father that he is. And our identity now is one of children of God. And even though the world doesn't understand Jesus, that that system that's in rebellion to God that it mentions here in 1 John 3, the world does not know him. Even though the world doesn't know him, even though the world doesn't get him, even though the world might not understand us or get us, our current identity is sealed. Jesus really did what he what we see in Scripture, and he really is who he is, who he said he was. And we can take heart in our current identity. But what else does it mean to be God's child? Well, there's also this awesome future identity that we get. And we see that in 1 John 3, verse 2, where it says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. As God's child, one day we will get to be fully with Jesus. We get to be like him. Now, notice, it doesn't say you get to be another Jesus. There's no promises in this verse or anywhere else in Scripture about anybody becoming omniscient or all-knowing or omnipotent or all-powerful one day. There's nothing about that. But we get to be like Jesus in the sense that we get to be fully in his presence and get to be completely free from sin in our lives. Completely free from guilt and sin. Resurrected body, fully righteous in God. There's a few other verses that speak to this, that expand on this. I want us to look at. Verses in 2 Corinthians 3. It says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From this For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. God is transforming us here, and he will fully transform us one day when we are with him. Next verse in Philippians chapter 3 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, 
And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, it says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. When we talk about fully known and fully loved here, you might think, oh, that's pretty catchy. And it is. But it's also needed. And it is the most important need that we have as human beings. And we can be fully known and fully loved by the God of the universe because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Being his children. These are incredible truths we can take hold of and meditate on with on our future reality and our Christian life. And because of these truths, we can hope in God. That's the, the fourth action that we see here in verse 3 of 1 John. Hoping in God. It says in 1 John 3, 3, it says, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Purification. Pure. That language. Something being made clean. It's something I've actually had to grapple with recently from just a physical, tangible standpoint. Uh, our dishwasher has not been working recently, which has just not been a whole lot of fun. Uh, I watched this thing on the History Channel about this woman who came up with the idea and more or less invented the dishwasher. And I'm like, thank goodness for that woman. Having to do dishes by hand all the time would not be a very fun thing to have to do. Just the convenience and how quickly it goes, it's, it's phenomenal. So not having a dishwasher that works has, has been a bit of a pain. Now, when I say it doesn't work, I'm not saying it's not like running at all. It's still running. It's just not really like cleaning things super well. So you might have some smudges. You might still have some other things here. And part of me sometimes is kind of like, yeah, that, that might work. That'd be okay. And it's like, okay, I don't know if my wife would love my two, three-year-old eating off that plate. Let's go ahead, you know, wash it. Um, but our, a dishwasher that doesn't fully clean isn't, isn't that helpful. If it doesn't clean everything fully, it's not doing its job. It's not that helpful. And, as some of us in here may have heard someone say, maybe a parent say, uh, the dishes aren't just going to wash themselves, right? You've heard that. So they've got to be washed manually. Well, for us as humans, as people who are broken, as sinners, we're not going to wash ourselves either. We are not capable of doing that. And we need to be fully clean. And the only way for us to be fully clean is right here. Who's the he? And who's pure? It's Jesus. Everyone who thus hopes, that key word, hope, the confident expectation, the positive outlook that we can have in Jesus will purify themselves, make themselves clean as he is clean, as he is pure. We can be, uh, we can have complete freedom. This purity is speaking of is a complete freedom from sin and guilt, a purity we can pursue out of hope here on this earth and a confidence that one day we will be fully and completely pure in God's sight. I mentioned earlier how it's easy for us to struggle with uh, God's love. There's actually a book um, by a popular uh, theologian and author called The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. I think that's a pretty good title for this because it doesn't make sense to our human minds. God's love for us is something that we could struggle with. Again, for a bunch of different reasons, but our heart's posture being a major one. If we can do, attain, and measure up, if we can, we can make it such where we're going to work a little bit, and then, yeah, God will do the rest, but we've done some work. We've, we've made, made it worth it. 
for him. We're worthy for it. If we can do that, God's love isn't as big of a deal. And the way that the author is, uh, the way that John is showing this is God's love as a really big deal. Because it is. Friends, it is a huge deal. And it is our greatest need. The need to be fully known and fully loved by the God of the universe is the only thing that will fill the God-sized hole in our heart. We can try to fill it with all sorts of other things. But at the end of the day, God's love for us in Christ and us trusting in that is what will fill that hole. If you're not sure you're truly God's child, hopefully you've seen that this invitation is free. Come talk to a pastor, a leader, a community group leader, a friend around you. We would love to share with you how you can know for sure. John 1.12 actually says, But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. Becoming God's child is simple as returning from your sin and receiving Jesus. And that invitation is open and free to all, and it could be made today. For those of us in here who are truly God's children, see what kind of love the Father has shown us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace, Lord. We thank you for your work in our hearts and lives. We thank you for all that you've done for us in Christ. We ask that you would help us to know you and follow you. Help us to see what you would have for our lives. Help us to understand your love, God. We will never be able to fully understand it this side of heaven, but God, help us to see, uh, see you for who you are and what you've done for us, Lord. And we ask that you would help us to hope in you and to put all our hope and trust in you, Jesus, and that you would help uh, work in our hearts just a greater love for you and for others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.